Oh, awesome. It's good to be here. It's good to be back. Um, hopefully at some point today I will say something significant. I can't guarantee it. I will try my best. Before I do, though, i got to get something off my chest from last time I was here. And this has haunted me, okay? Last time I was here, I feel like when you introduced me, you went in for the hug. And I went for the microphone. And that, that's a flaw that I have. Like, people have shown me video after service of them going like this and me taking the microphone. And I've lost sleep over it. I literally have. So I have to come in. I'm coming in. This is for last time. I have to. For real, you have no idea. That's how weird I am. I have lost sleep. I will sleep tonight. It'll be good. But no, excited to be here. I know your pastors enough. I know this place enough to know that for the short time that this has been something, they've probably thought and they've prayed and they had meetings and they've discussed a hundred different ways to try to explain to everyone that comes to Harbor that somewhere inside of you, God has created you with a purpose. God has created you with gifts and talents and abilities and, and, and passions and dreams that are specific to you. God has put them inside of you and that he wants to use them to build his kingdom. If this is the first time you're ever hearing this, know it. If you're in the room today, God has created you with a purpose and there's something inside of you he wants to draw out of you. And something I think that people don't talk about enough in that realm is that at some level, it's our responsibility to steward that to steward the gift, to steward the calling, to steward the passion, to steward whatever it is that's inside of us. God wants to use it. And the way that we steward it, the only way we can is, I think, is we got to go through these seasons of seeking, to kind of always be in this perpetual season of seeking in life, whether it's for like the big picture of like, dear God, why am I on earth? What is happening? What do I do? That's like the big season of seeking we can be in. Or it can be more specific, like this next season, what do I do? This next season, how do, we, how do we navigate this situation? Season of seeking, praying, talking to God, journaling, writing, uh, seeking wise counsel, seeking God. And then sometimes it's like for today, right? You get up in the morning and you're like, I have a meeting today at lunch and I don't know which direction I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know if I'm going to resign. I don't know if I'm going to do this. I don't know what I'm going to do today. We have to be in those seasons of seeking. And Hope Project, it was really birthed out of one of a hundred seasons of seeking my wife and I have been in. Uh, we actually were kids pastors for 10 years before we started Hope Project. And we knew we had a call to the nations. We knew we were supposed to be out there somewhere, but we always felt like for now God has us here. And we were always seeking God, when's the time? Where are we going? How's this going to play out? And I actually want to share with you something from one of those seasons of seeking. I'm not going to put it up there yet because I have to give some qualifiers, but I have a, like an excerpt from my journal from 2012, okay? Something I wrote in my journal. And so this is very, like, I'm being open here. I'm, I'm putting it all out there. First of all, please don't judge my handwriting. It's literally a picture of my journal. I have fat fingers. I press too hard. I write too fast. The end of every word is a scribble, okay? Don't judge that, okay? Second of all, there's a lot of I statements in this journal, okay? It's I will do this. I will do that. I don't want you to think I'm that guy, that I think I'm doing this all by myself. I didn't even pick out this outfit this morning. Okay? I didn't. I had nothing to do with it. It was, in, it was hanging up in the hotel. Then, uh, 10 minutes before service started, somebody folded the bottom of my pants. Okay? They said, this is how you have to wear this. I said, okay, I trust you. I don't do, this isn't me. I didn't come up with this. This is just how I felt at the time, 13 years ago, to write in my journal. I, 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 okay? Megan, she's, she's the one, okay? If she writes in her journal and writes I, I'm okay with it. I write, I, it's not me, it's her, okay? So this is my journal. I was in a season of seeking. Don't put it up yet. I'm still not ready, but for, I feel like I'm about to take off my shirt and be like, this is my 42-year-old body. 
It didn't always look like this. No, but this is my journal. Okay, there it is. Okay, so February 2012. This is 13 years ago. This is 13 months before we even talked about anything that is Hope Project now. I was reading a book. I won't tell you the book or the author because I don't know if he's been canceled or he's a heretic. I don't, I haven't, I can't recommend it, but so this is what I wrote. If money were no object and I could do anything I wanted for the rest of my life, what would I do? 13 years ago, 13 months before Hope Project. I would pick three to five projects around the world to invest my life in. I would do whatever I could to change the lives of everyone in those areas for the better. I would build homes, schools, churches, medical facilities, and feeding centers there. I would bring them electricity, which I don't think you can actually do, and, cl <laughs> and clean water. I don't work for FPL. I don't. I would travel there, raise support for them, lead teams there, and invest my life in seeing lives change there for generations to come. I wrote this in my journal on the back porch of our 900 square foot home in Lakeland in 2012. And just praying and in a season of seeking, knowing there's something in me that God wants to bring out. I want to steward it. I want to be a part of the process. I don't want to stumble upon it. I don't want to look back 20 years ago. I could have done something, but I didn't. I was in a season of seeking, and I wrote this down. And it wasn't for another 13 months till my wife and I sat down and started having these kind of conversations. And they actually came out of a game we played. All right, we played a game. You've played this if you're poor, or <laughs> if you see like the money balls at like 10 billion, and you're like, I've never played the money ball, but I could do a lot with 10 billion, right? <laughs> and, huh? Power, whatever it is. I don't see. <laughs> see, I'm not that guy. All right? But you think it's a lot of money and you want to do it. So, so we played this game. What if we had millions of dollars? What if we had unlimited resources? What would we do with our life? I actually want to play that game with you guys today. So this is what we're going to do. Everyone just close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. All right? And I want you to picture when you leave this place today, Pastor Jordan is going to hand you $1 million. Okay? <laughs> First of all, this is a game. It's not happening. This is where the game ends. Okay? And you're going to leave, and we're going to have a bucket there for tithes and offering, obviously. And then I want you to swing by the merch table of her whole project. But you're leaving with a million dollars-ish. And I want you to think of what is the first thing you're going to buy with your million dollars. Think about it. Just close your eyes. Think about it. Lean into it. Okay, nobody, nobody goes straight to McDonald's, okay, first of all. I know Chick-fil-A's closed, but you're a millionaire now. Act like it. First thing you're going to buy. Think about it. Okay? Now think about the second thing you're going to buy. Second thing. Two things. So you bought two things. You're in the process. Okay, who here is out of money right now? You've spent it all on two things, all right? Why do, I feel like Miro has doubled his money already. <laughs> I do. I feel like he's giving out low-interest loans if you've already spent your own, okay? <laughs> Keep your eyes. Let me look around. I see Garrett. I feel like Garrett just spent a million dollars on, like, Pokemon cards and Yeezys. <laughs> Did you? Tell the truth. No? Okay, 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 okay. So you bought two things. All right, we're going to end it there. Go open your eyes now. Okay, open your eyes. You spent your milli. You may have a little left. All right, raise your hand if the first thing you bought or did was you bought a house or paid off your mortgage. First thing. Very nice. Fiscally responsible people. Well done. All right. Now, the second thing you did, or the first or second, is you bought a vehicle. Who here got a vehicle? Okay, a few people. Very nice, very nice. All right, how many people in your first two things you bought something for someone else, and a vehicle for your wife doesn't count. <laughs> you bought, okay, some people, okay, something. All right, a few of you bought something for someone else in your first two purchases, okay? 
This was the game my wife and I played. We sat around, and those, that's kind of how we went through it. We thought of the houses we would buy if we had millions of dollars. If we hit that Powerball, the houses, we'd have a house on the beach, we'd have a house in the mountains, we'd have a house you know, somewhere internationally. Then we started thinking of the cars we would drive. You know what I'm saying? We would have, we gotta have a truck at the cabin in the mountains, right? You gotta have Vespas at the beach house. That's how we spent our money in our heads. But then we realized, actually, if we had unlimited resources, we actually wouldn't go buy all these lavish things for ourselves. We would wanna use those resources to build God's kingdom here on earth. And we started having conversations that looked like what I had written in my journal a year before of going to places and, and building churches and, and building homes and feeding centers and all the things that we would do if money were no object. And then we just decided, if that's the life we would want to live, why don't we just live it now? Why don't we just do it? And I'm not about to tell you a story about how someone wrote a million-dollar check to Hope Project. That has not happened yet. But we decided we're going to use our lives to build the kingdom of God while we're here, whatever it looks like. And since that day, our life has just been filled with what I think I want to call beautiful exchanges. We have beautiful exchanges between us and God, between each other, between us and friends, between God and friends. We've been on the front lines of seeing exchanges between God and his people. For 10 years now, we've just been there doing the thing. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at a portion of scripture where it's just that. It's someone building God's kingdom and the beautiful exchanges that God brings to it, okay? And it's the book of Haggai. If you don't know Haggai, some people may call it Haggai, but according to the three YouTube videos I watched last night, it's Haggai, okay? Haggai. Haggai. All right? Haggai, if you, if you want to go to it, we're going to pretty much, it's only two chapters, okay? Haggai is really short. We're going to go there. We're going to look at the whole book. If you want to go to it, but you don't want to just be flipping through your Bible, it's like one of the last three books of the Old Testament. So go to like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then go back three books into the Old Testament, and you'll see Haggai, okay? Everyone say Haggai. Haggai. So we're going to go to Haggai. And what's happening here is a really interesting thing because it, Haggai is the second shortest book in the Old Testament. The only shorter book is Obadiah. And Haggai is considered a minor prophet, but there's like nothing minor about what happens in these two chapters. Like one of the most significant things in this time of history for God's people happens in Haggai. And it has to do with the temple because in about 1000 BC, King Solomon built God's temple in Jerusalem. It was promised to King David. King David set up Jerusalem as the capital city for God's people, for Israel. And then he never got to build the temple. King Solomon comes in and builds the temple. And he builds it like beautiful. Gold, silver, rubies, the finest lumber, the finest stones. He builds God's temple. And even better than how beautiful it is, is God's presence comes and rests in the temple. It's a place that you can literally pray towards and God will answer your prayers. And, and King Solomon actually prays a really interesting prayer. First Kings chapter eight, I believe. If you want to read that later, you can. First Kings chapter eight is, is King Solomon's prayer for the temple when they dedicate it. We don't have time to get into it today. But something happens next is a couple hundred years later, the Babylonians come in. King Nebuchadnezzar destroys Jerusalem and destroys the temple. I mean, takes it block by block, all the gold, all the silver, the fine lumber, everything is just destroyed. And God's people are scattered and exiled. And they end up in Babylon, millions of people. And then that's where they are until Babylon is destroyed by Persia. And the king of Persia actually, in about 586 BC, gives permission for the Israelites to return to Jerusalem. Go back to your capital city. 
Go back to where you had your temple. Go be a people again. And there's a remnant of 50,000 Jews that go back to Jerusalem, and they start rebuilding God's temple. And it takes about two years to get the foundation laid, and they build it, but then they start getting pressure. Like the Samaritans and other people around them are thinking, if God's people have their temple, and they have their God, and they have his glory, that's trouble for us politically and religiously. And so the building is actually stopped. Pressure is put on them. And for 10 years, they do nothing. God's people just build their own lives. And that's when we get to Haggai. Hope that wasn't too much of like a history lesson. But we get to Haggai. Oh, sorry, Haggai. Okay, Haggai. And, and something happens here. And we're just going to start from the first chapter, first verse. It says, On August 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of the heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now remember, they were sent to build the house of the Lord. And then they stopped and did nothing for a decade. And now they're like, oh, I don't think it's time yet. But God says it's time. So then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in, live, in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Hamid's army says. Look at what's happening to you. I want to stop here and just say straight up, I'm not here to preach a message today that says, why are you living in luxury while God's house lies in ruins? First of all, I don't know you like that. I don't know who here lives in a 5,000 square foot house who shares a two-bedroom apartment with four other dudes, okay? I don't know, like, who gets in a big king-size bed at night or who's in their 30s and sleeps on a top bunk, okay? I'm not here to tell you, you're living in luxury, build God's house, okay? Also, I think if that message came, it would come from your pastor. If he felt that, he would bring that word. Also, on top of that, you're building God's house. You are right now building a church, building in a place where nothing exists except the Spirit of God and a few people that want to change the world. And you're paying a pastor's salary. And you're simultaneously building a church in Sarasota, Florida, where you got to, like, go steal chairs from the kids on Sunday. Okay? You're doing it. You're building God's kingdom. You're doing it. But I do think there's another thing that a lot of us deal with that God starts to speak to in Haggai. And I think a lot of people nowadays live with just this in the background or in the foreground, this general disappointment. You just don't feel like we're adding up, right? You just, we haven't quite got where we thought we'd be. We haven't accomplished what we thought we would accomplish. We don't have the influence we thought we'd have. And we kind of, we're always kind of disappointed, right? Just always like looking around thinking, do I add up? Do I, do I, am I doing the thing? Can people tell that I don't have it all together, right? And sometimes we even look to, like, this next thing. Like, if I get married, then it'll be good. If we have that kid, it'll be good. If I get the job, it'll be great. And then it comes, and we're still disappointed, right? And God speaks to that in this. I'm going to go back to it. So it said, why are you living in luxurious houses Why my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but can't keep warm. Your wages disappear though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins. God challenges his people here and says, look, you've been disappointed every day for the last 10 years. Go up into the mountains and get some wood and come down and build my house. And things will start to change. 
And they commit to build God's kingdom in that moment. They actually do it. Within a month, they are building God's kingdom. And this is where the beautiful exchanges start to happen. I'm going to jump. We're going to stay in chapter 1, but I'm going to jump to verse 12, okay? So then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest and the whole remnant of God's people, the whole 50,000 people that came back, the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from their Lord. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai from the Lord they get that God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. And the next verse, the next thing that's said is my new favorite portion of scripture in the world. This is what God says. They start to build his kingdom. They start to build his house. And it says, so the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. God sparked their enthusiasm. When I read this, when I started to prepare for this, and I read the verse of God sparking their enthusiasm, I was filled with joy because we've taken like 90 trips around the world and we've brought over a thousand people with us. And I can't tell you how many times I've watched firsthand God spark someone's enthusiasm as they're building God's kingdom. I can't tell you how many times the four of us have been standing on some dirty street somewhere, ugly crying, looking at each other, and our enthusiasm is just being sparked. It's the only way to describe it. God sparks our enthusiasm. We say, we get to do this. There was a moment when we thought we were building Luce's house. Do you guys remember that day? I'll never forget Kristen's face. It was just this moment, and our enthusiasm was sparked. I've seen it over and over again. I saw it last June, people from this church. I saw Sissy. I don't think she's in there right now, but I saw Sissy's enthusiasm. Is she in here? There she is. I saw your enthusiasm sparked more than once. I saw it the first time as you watched your son serve, as you saw him out there throwing stuff around and sweating and leading and just in his element, and your enthusiasm was sparked, and I saw it. And then later on in the week, I remember we built that house the muddiest piece of land in the history of the world we built on. And I have a picture in my head of you standing next to this woman. She's wearing a skirt and a top and a scarf on her head and boots up to here because she's standing in mud. And your enthusiasm was sparked in that moment. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw Billy. He just got up and ran out of here. His enthusiasm was so sparked. He jumped up. But the first time that he stepped foot in Via Japon, This man's enthusiasm was sparked. He had heard about it. He had prayed about it. He had given towards it. He had known the vision. And then he got out of the van one day, and he was standing in that place. And his enthusiasm was sparked. And that's what God did for these people as they began to build his house, as they began to build his kingdom. He sparked their enthusiasm. Then it gets even better. All right, we're going to go chapter 2, verse 1. Then on October 17th, And so this is about two months after the first word, okay? That same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, governor of Judah and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest and the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, the temple in its former splendor? They're rebuilding Solomon's temple. How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel, be strong, Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all the people who are still left in the land, and now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I have promised. When you came out of Egypt, so don't be afraid. This is what the Lord of the heaven's armies says. In a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to the temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord. 
the future glory of this temple will be greater than the past. What God does here is he says, you're building my temple. I'm going to give you the enthusiasm. I'm going to give you the strength. But the very next thing I'm going to bring is the resources to do so. As you commit to build this house, I will bring the gold. I will bring the silver. And more importantly, I'll bring my glory. The two most, if you're going to do anything in life, you've got to have resources. And you've got to do it in some way that brings God glory. Because when God says, I'm going to bring my glory to the house, guess what? It's not even for us. His glory is for him. We don't even get to touch it. We just get to be around it. And he brings the resource, and then he brings his glory. And, and that's the moment that this project becomes real. Because you guys, you can pick any city in any place of the world and build a building there, and it will be great. But if the glory of God doesn't rest in that place, if he doesn't bring his presence, if he doesn't bring the life change through only himself, then it's just a building. But we're going to build God's kingdom and trust him for the resources and for his glory. The final part of this is incredible. And, it, and God really, really, really speaks here to that feeling of disappointment, that feeling of, am I adding up? Is this even matter? Is this even working? We're going to go to it and see what God says. His final thought, chapter 2, 15, we're going to start right there. It says, look what is happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. When you hoped for 20 bushel crops, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. Think about this 18th day of, September, of December, when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I am giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevine, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. From this day forward, I will bless you. You've done my work. You've been disappointed. I'm giving you the resources. I'm bringing my glory. And from this moment on, I'm going to bless you. The, the disappointment will go away. You'll get to the place where you thought you would be by now. And I'm going to bless it. And I'm going to bring the harvest. And God promises to do the most important work. And so as we build God's kingdom together, as we've done it for 10 years, and we've done it together, and we're getting ready to do it again, this is all we need to ask for. Everything is in it right here that God would spark our enthusiasm. He would bring the resources. He would bring his glory and that he would bless it from day one and on forever. And so what I want to do is I want to go back to my journal entry and I want to check it out because there's actually something significant in here. All right. The three to five projects, 13 months after writing this, we sat down and created Hope Project. We told your pastors the idea. They were like, great, let's go get tacos. Literally, that's what they said. We started the work, and we started actually checking things off this list, okay? Now, I kind of want to go through it, so let's see. We'd help everyone. I would build homes, okay? We have built 296 homes around the world since that was written. 296 homes, okay? All right? Schools. We would build schools. We started sending kids to school a couple years ago. Then we started making sure the school they went to had supplies. Then we started training teachers. And then we got to the point where Hope Project kind of affects the education of more than 10,000 children around the world every year. Yeah. And last year in Ethiopia, we gave a down payment for a piece of property that where a school building will be built in Ethiopia this year. This year, that is going to take place. Okay, yeah. All right churches, medical facilities. We never built a medical facility. I'm not sure we will. But there is something we do in the medical field. In Nicaragua, women like Jocelyn, when she goes to have her baby in April, 
She has to bring everything she needs with her to the hospital. Everything you need when you have a baby. She's got to bring a diaper bag. She's got to bring bed sheets. She's got to bring something to wear. She has to bring stitches, okay? And if you're like, why does she need stitches? You, you don't want to know, okay? <laughs> she's got to bring it all with her. And she's got to go into this hospital with everything and have the baby, and then she has to leave. And how many of you guys, when you left the hospital with your baby, you pulled out that bottom drawer and you took everything in it with you, right? Jocelyn has to bring that with her, okay? And she's going to be able to do that because when we gave them the money for the salary, we also gave an extra $100 so that she can have all that stuff when she goes, okay? So we may never build a medical facility, but when pregnant moms from Nicaragua go to a medical facility, we're going to make sure they have everything they need when they go, okay? Feeding centers, we've provided more than 500,000 meals. Electricity, again, I don't think that's legal. Clean water, your pastors were there the first time we brought pure water filters to Crystal Ray. And we set it up, and kids stood around drinking it. And I saw this, it looked like a bunch of 40-year-old men, but they were eight-year-old boys, and they were like, que rico. They, could, they were like, I can taste it. I taste the difference. We have a picture of Kristen actually helping a little girl take her first drink of pure water ever. We brought it. We do the teams. We do everything on that. The only thing on this list that Hope Project has never done is build a church building. We've never done it. It's the only thing left undone until now. When Harbor Church comes along and says, you're building God's kingdom, we want to be a part of it. And you jump in and God brings the resources and he brings his glory and he says, from this day forward, I will bless it. So when we're done with this, I'm closing my journal and I'm going away forever. It's done, right? No, God has promised, I will bless this from this day forward. Why would I walk away now? Why would we say, okay, we're done, check it off the list, on to the next event, right? No, this is ongoing. This is our life from now until eternity. And so I want to thank you guys for being a part of it. I want to, in a minute, pray prayer over all of you that the things I talked about, that Haggai shows us in Scripture, happen in your life. That you figure out what God has called you to do and how to be a part of it, and that God brings the resources, His glory. He blesses you from this day forward. I want to pray that over Harbor Church as well. All those things, that God will bring the resources here. His glory will always be here. You know, God goes on to say that this, this second temple that they're building, it's actually going to be greater than the first because his glory will be there and he will bless it and bless it and bless it. That's my prayer for Harbor Church. And so I'm going to, I'm going to pray, but I also I feel like I want to share some specific words, general yet specific, I think. But I feel like there's a lot of people here, and this is true in the whole world, but I, I, I want to have something specific. I believe there's a lot of people here that you've got idea to start something new, to begin a new something, a new ministry, a new business, a new podcast, a new something. You've got something new you want to begin. It may be so young that you have never even told your spouse about it. It's just in your head or your friend. You've never even told your closest friend. She doesn't even know she's going to freak out, okay? But I want to encourage you to take this first step. I want you to go and tell your pastors about it. I believe that is your next step. I believe they have a significant anointing to go first and an anointing to start new things. They're the first people we ever told about Hope Project. And now we've checked off everything on the list. Tell them, I believe when you tell them, and it will in some way unlock the next step for you. It will some way unlock future success because you've shared it with someone with an anointing to begin new things. I believe that. I also believe that there's someone here, some people here, that you work with numbers. You, your, your job is numbers. It's always been your thing. You love math for some reason. Numbers has been your thing when you work with numbers. But in that position where you are, you also, because of that, feel overlooked. 
You feel like no one sees you. You're just in the back with the numbers and nobody sees the work you're putting in. I want to encourage you that God is going to begin to give you ideas that it will affect more than the numbers. It will affect the entire company or the entire whatever it is you're a part of. And I want you to be bold enough to speak up and to share with those above you. And I believe God will give you a greater influence for his kingdom when you share the influence with the people above you, even though you feel overlooked. You've got to step beyond that. And the last thing before I pray is this. I just see somebody, this is so weird. I've never done this before. I'm sorry. Then you work with like, I just see little black boxes, just little black boxes. And I just hear the word focus. There's something about your focus with these little black boxes that makes you so good at what you do, that your ability to focus on this black box or with this black box. And I want you to know that focus is God-given. The focus isn't for that position in the black box. The focus is for his kingdom. And he wants to use your ability to focus and detail and, and fix in on something to build his kingdom. So begin to look for new opportunities to do that, to step outside of the boxes and step into whatever God has for you. I hope that's all right. Let's pray real quick. You guys go ahead.